Hey there, and welcome to the first episode of the Hiker Trash Podcast. My name is Dom Aprilli, trail name footage, and I threw hiked the Appalachian Trail last year in 2016. Throughout my journey, I became amazed at all the different people from different walks of life that managed to make it to the trail for all different kinds of reasons. The point of this podcast is to explore the diverse group of individuals in the trail community and hear their personal stories. For those of you who don't know much about the Appalachian Trail, here's a brief history of its creation. The Appalachian Trail is the first national scenic trail in the U.S. It spans through 14 states from Georgia to Maine. It was conceived by regional planner and conservationist Ben Mackay. He made the idea public in 1921. Mackay spearheaded the development of this innovative trail. The project gained traction relatively quickly from outdoors enthusiasts and was backed by government support. This group became known as the Appalachian Trail Conference, which is now known as the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. Federal Admiralty lawyer Myron H. Avery stepped into the leadership role along the way and the footpath was officially finished in 1937. Shortly after the completion, the AT suffered from severe weather and the fact that America was also at war. In 1948, Earl V. Schaffer, a recovering veteran, sought the trail as a way of walking off the horrors he had seen at war. He hiked the entirety of the established AT northbound from Georgia to Maine. He completed the first thru-hike, defying the public consensus that such a feat was impossible a true vagabond unknowingly giving birth to the subculture of thru-hiking and long-distance hiking. Ben Mackay had a vision of small trail community villages to be established along the trail. This never quite came to fruition. It sounds like a nice thought having forest communities that welcome hikers and outdoors idealism while supporting conservatism. However, over the years, some sort of trail community has been established. He didn't know it then, but he was trying to form some sort of hiker trash society. It didn't quite pan out like that, but the Appalachian Trail today and other scenic trails that followed its footsteps, pun intended, have become examples of positive American conservatism and forward thinking. The trail is a representation of America's fundamental value of freedom. For this first episode, I interviewed a good friend of mine, Chuck Biscabing, and here's what he had to say. Hey, it's Chuckles from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm a class of... 2016 northbound Appalachian Trail through hiker. How did you first learn about the Appalachian Trail? Don't really remember what the first time I ever heard of it. It's sort of being in Georgia, you just kind of hear about it, but I didn't really know what it meant or anything. Um, really until I'm, I might have hiked on it in the Smokies once on accident when I was in grad school. And then Lila and I, we, she would hike to Blood Mountain sometimes. And when we first started dating, uh, we went and hiked up uh, on that section through like Slaughter Gap and all. It was so cold. There was ice on everything. And that was the first time I like remember 100% that I was on the AT and actually started reading about it and learning what it really was not just that oh the AT it's a trail but actually like reading about it and learning what it really was and so that was maybe oh five years ago or something so then to dig a little bit deeper I guess um, when did you start hiking or just like being an avid outdoorsman uh, I've hiked Really, even as a child, when I was a kid, I would go play in the woods all day and we would walk for hours. Um, 
just in the woods and fields around where I lived and kind of in my early 20s did a lot of day hikes. I lived in California for a couple of years and we would go just to hike just for the hell of it, just to be outside, but never really backpacking. Um, first backpacking trip was, oh, I don't know, five years ago, four years ago, something like that to Glacier National Park and did like four or five nights, like 40 something miles. And that was my first like real backpacking trip. I'd done Cumberland Island, like where you hike like two or three miles in and then, you know, stay at the same campsite for a couple of days, but no like real like continual backpacking till Glacier and did Yosemite the following year, similar sort of itinerary. Um, but yeah, that, you know, that, that kind of, it was something I'd always wanted to do and I didn't know people. I didn't know people that did it. And I had lots of friends that we would day hike and stuff, but I would ask people and nobody was willing to do it. And my girlfriend is the one that actually got me into it. That's a good thing to distinguish too, like the difference between hiking and backpacking. Yeah. Because it is a whole different ball game, I guess. And I think the terms are kind of interchangeable, but when you really get to the, like, to the meat of it, backpacking is like much more serious endeavor. Yeah. And the fact that you have, I'll, I'll say between like 30 and 60 pounds on your back and you need to make sure that everything you need is there and you are staying overnight in the woods for like a prolonged period of time. Um, yeah. As opposed to hiking, which is I guess just walking on a trail, um, which may or may not be like up in the mountains or, you know, going uphill or yeah, high altitudes. But um, yeah, backpacking, it's kind of like an activity and a lifestyle because if you're doing it, you're, you're, you know, you're devoting at least a couple of days to it. And in our case, a few months. <laughs> and I'm sure there are people that are crazier than us who are out there for much longer periods of time. Yeah. So what made you want to hike the AT? I don't know. A lot of reasons. To do something big, to do something uh, hard, something that out of the ordinary. You know, everybody, everybody goes to work. Everybody does this. Everybody goes on vacation. But I don't know. I didn't, I've never wanted to just live that life. I've always wanted to stretch as far as I could and do things to see if I could and to experience it and live in a way where I got to experience extraordinary things and uh, try to do those things and not to just say it can't be done. And so really the first time I stepped on with Lila and I knew I was on the AT and I started reading about it. And I just remember even that first day being like, this is something big. And then reading about it and saying, this is something really big. This is really cool. And I love, like I said, I mean, I've always loved being in the woods and this is sort of like a, I don't know, a pinnacle of walking around in the woods. And uh, I don't know, it's a chance to get away from work for a couple months and work was really stressful for a while there. And I don't know, just so many things um, to see if I can do it, uh, to challenge myself, to get in better shape. Uh, just so many different reasons. But I think the, the biggest reason for me is to do something that I could look back and say, hey, I pushed myself and I did it. And 
I know I can do it. And once you've done it, you feel like you can do other things like that. And it's just expanding, I don't know, expanding your belief in yourself and your horizons of what is possible. Yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of people that hike the trail share that perspective and, and that is like the driving force behind actually getting them on the trail. <clears throat> it is to like kind of prove to themselves because it is, it's totally a mental battle. Yes. And you struggle with that every day that you're on the trail. And it's no joke because there's a lot of doubt. And I think even more so there's more doubt before you even start the trail. Like, should I do this? Like, I have a lot to leave behind. I have a lot to sacrifice. Like, yes. people are going to think I'm crazy and this and that. Just like... Once you're there, it's just like, that's the hard part, you know? The easy part is waking up every day and doing the same thing and making it a routine and making it your job. But you still have doubt, like, should I go back? Or is it worth it? Like, what's the point? I'm with you on that 100%. It's getting there, getting out there and knowing, hey, I can do this. And then making it your job to do it. Not that you don't even think about whether it's an option. It's getting up and going to work. And your work just happens to be walking in the woods. <laughs> It's a lot better than a lot of people are doing for work, right? <laughs> but I think that's true and probably all through hikers that once you have that moment and it really clicks and it is your job, that's kind of when you know you're going to do it. Yeah. Or you know you're going to do it um, as long as you stay healthy and you don't get injured or anything. But like once that switch flips in your head and you go from, all right, like I'm hiking the trail and this and that, and then it's just like you wake up and it's like, this is what I do now. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's, that's exactly right. I mean, if you think of it like... You think of it like a really cool job and you're so lucky and just remember that, that you're so lucky that this is your job now. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, because getting a positive the, mindset. That's, that's key. This is the yeah. most important thing. Yeah, well. <laughs> Don't we'll let negative stuff creep that. in. <laughs> yeah, which is impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was life like before the trail? So you had mentioned, you know, work was getting stressful and um, you are in a long-term relationship with Lila, who you've mentioned. So what was it all like before the trail and how was it to leave that behind? Um, Lila was super supportive. I mean, Lila, Lila like pushed me when I said I was thinking about doing it. She's like, yeah, you should totally do it. Um, which is super cool because that was not, you know, that wasn't, a lot of people dealt with problems with that, like uh, in their relationships, people being like, what are you doing? What, you're gonna leave for five months? And Lila, Lila was super supportive. I mean, Lila was telling people, Lila was telling her family that I was going before I had even told anybody that I was going, where I was like, I'm, I think I'm gonna do it. I'm, I'm accumulating gear and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna do it. And she just started telling people, no, you're doing it. Like, he's doing it, he's going. So she was super supportive. Um, I think her family was really supportive because her family, they do uh, kind of a lot of interesting things and uh, they kind of understand and get that. My brother and sister were into it. My mom is really the person who actually like gave me the most information and kind of really got me into the trail because she had read AWOL's book. And so she handed that to me and said, you should, you should read this, this is kind of cool. And this is before I really got into like the trail fever. Um, but uh, so family-wise, it was, it, was, it was, that stuff was good. That was, there was no problem there and everybody was all about it and 100% behind me on it. Um, work, 
surprisingly was very cool too. They were like, dude, you're crazy. You're a crazy person. I uh, sort of work for myself, sort of work with some people and you know, I, I'm a closing attorney, a real estate lawyer. So I, I work a lot. I was working 12, 13, 14 hours a day and working on Saturdays and all before I left. And it was just burning me out. And uh, you know, the, the partners and uh, everybody I worked with was like, yeah, man, go for it. And no problem. Like, we've got you. Like, that's super cool. And we all think you're nuts, but uh, go for it. I don't know. Maybe they thought I was only going to be out there for a week or two and then just come back. But, <laughs> but they, were, they were super happy. And I, I hired uh, somebody to help out on my stuff while I was gone. And she was amazing. And I, it really just kind of came together where for me, it was, it wasn't things here that were stopping me. If, it, if, it, if I wasn't gonna make it, it was gonna be something in my head. It was gonna be me. And I think that's a lot different experience than what a lot of people have. And I think I was super lucky to, to have so many people that, you know, gave me zero grief and really did everything they could to try to help out. And so I was really lucky. Um, I don't know, it's, very lucky. That's cool that you had that much support because I'm sure that's not the case for a lot of people at hike, whether it be one or the other work or the relationship or, or yourself, like you said, um, you know, just in your mind, kind of psyching yourself out. But do you think there is a reason like the timing in particular to why you decided to hike? Because like you said, you were burnt out, but was it, was it like, um, an overwhelming feeling that you felt you had to get away for a little bit? Was it um, just you want to take a break or was it just that, you know, you started thinking about it and you just committed to it? I think, <clears throat> excuse me. I think um, I had felt, I'd been working like that for several years, working like, you know, 60, 70 hours a week and just constantly in the work. And my work is, it's day in, day out stressful, but it's not usually the type of stuff that keeps you awake all night, but it's still like just years, literally years of working like that. And it was sort of, um, it was, I, I, I think what it was is that I saw myself and I'm like getting into my mid thirties and I'm like, dude, I could just keep working like this until the day I die. And if I don't go just say work isn't the most important thing, and you have to look at these things that are your dreams and go do them and just just stop and just take a break. And thinking about that and then thinking about, you know, I need to, I need to stop working like this. I need to stop working so many hours. And this is, gives me a good opportunity to kind of create that break where I can set different expectations when I come back and it would make sense that I do that. And it, it's a chance to not just work straight through and to, do something and maybe that maybe it'll make a big change in my life not that i don't like my work it's i love my job but it's just still i was i was letting it take over my whole life and so yeah maybe maybe it was i needed the break i i saw myself just falling into this rat race of just you know just work 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 don't blinders on don't care about anything outside of that and i was like i don't want to be that person and so I don't know, I thought about going and hiking the year before and I had done a little bit of research. I had kind of started looking at gear and all, but I wasn't quite ready. 
And I said to myself, oh, this is going to be a really busy year at work. I, I need to stay focused on work and I'll do it maybe in the next couple years when work slows down. And then it came an, another year and it was time to really start getting stuff. And I'd gathered some more gear and I was a little bit closer to being ready. And I said, oh, it's going to be another busy year at work. And I said, every year might be a busy year at work. It's time to just do it, man. And uh, not let that define your life. And, you know, that's, uh, just did it, made it happen. And I think it's hard to do that. And I think, like I said, I have a, I have a very fortunate situation where I'm, people all say, oh, I don't know how I could ever make that happen. And I could never get away from work and all. And I mean, I didn't realize that everybody would be so supportive though. And I think if you step out and say it, I think a lot more people will be supportive than you think. I remember Sherpa, a guy on the trail, he had come out to hike for two or three weeks at the beginning. And then he was going back to work and we all liked him and said, no, no, you're not going back to work. You're hiking the AT. And I remember him saying, no, no, I can't. I have to go back to work. And finally, I had hiked a couple days ahead and I, I came back to the NOC with Lila when she came up to visit one weekend. And we went down to go have dinner and I ran into him there. And he told me, I called my boss and said, hey, I'm not coming back. I'm gonna hike the trail. And this is after a couple of weeks of being in the woods. And his boss hung up on him. <laughs> he was so mad at him. And that was on a Friday. And he said he talked to his boss on the Monday after. And his boss said, nah, man, that's awesome. You'll have your job when you get back. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And so I think it's the sort of thing that in your head you put up these blocks. But the world, people want to see people do cool things like this. And, you know, if you go out there and you, you present it right, and, you know, I mean, obviously some people have children and all, so it's a little bit more difficult, but I think you can make it happen if, if you want. And I don't know. For me, it was. It was just, I don't want to be blinders on for the rest of my life. Just work, work, work. I want to do things. I want to live. <laughs> just for those people that are kind of like on the fence um, and still thinking that it's like, it's not doable or next year or when I retire or this and that, like what is your advice to them? You could do that, but one of my reasons, and I think for everybody, your health's not guaranteed, man. Do it while you can. Find a way to make it happen. It's uh, like I said, I mean, I think other people will people will kind of step up or, hey, you lose a job, don't go looking for a new job right away, you know? You can do it pretty cheap if you're smart about it. And uh, I mean, never an advocate for going into debt, but hell, if you're gonna have to go into debt for something, it's cheaper to live on the trail than to live with jobless back home, you know? Or if you're in a relationship and you break up, that's a lot of the people do it where there's a transition in their life. and. I think that there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's a great way to reflect on, on life. But if it's just something that you really want to do, make it happen. Don't make excuses. I mean, you know, it's, it's way too easy to get caught up in the, you can't do it and find reasons to spend all of your energy thinking why you can't. But 
find a way to make it happen. There, you can make it happen. And maybe you have to work two jobs for a while and save money, or you know, you maybe have to rent a cheaper place or get a roommate or whatever it is that you have to do to make it happen. Find a way to make it happen if you want to do it. Follow your dreams. Don't, don't, you know, don't focus on the why not. Focus on the how and why you do want to do it and how you can make that happen. And I think if you're thinking about doing it, it's sort of, at least for me, it was like as soon as I started thinking about doing it, it was a matter of, well, now it's in my head and it's not going to go away until I do it. So and I'm not going to, I can't live with myself having that in my head that I want to do it and not doing it. Um, because I just can't live with that unrealized dream. An unrealized dream is bad. It's bad. It will eat at you and you'll look back at your life and say, why didn't I do that? And I shouldn't, I should have found some way to make that happen. Well, do it. Don't, don't have unrealized dreams. Don't, don't live life where you're going to regret it. And I don't think there's any way that you'll regret hiking the Appalachian Trail. I don't think it's possible to regret having done it. It's just a wonderful experience and it's extremely difficult. Um, it will test you as a person. It will help you grow as a person. But if you're thinking about doing it, do it totally. <laughs> yeah, I second that for sure. Um, I mean, you want to finish life with like the least amount of what ifs as possible. And you don't want hiking the trail to be a what if because I don't, yeah, like you said, I don't know one person on the trail that regrets hiking the trail. It's only enhanced every person I've come into contact contact with's life. I don't know much of a downside besides just some miserable days hiking. <laughs> How did your family like react when you told them? The funny thing is that since my mom was somebody that she was following the blogs and all for years before I went and she was really into it and I told her I was going to do it and she said, well, why don't you just try to do like half of it? Are you sure you like, I don't know that you can do that. You're, you're not really in shape. And she was kind of negative about it. And so it was so weird because she's so hyped up on it and all. And I guess, you know, I was in pretty, pretty bad shape and you know, I do have a lot of ties at home as far as work and everything goes and relationship and all, but um, when she saw that I was serious, uh, then she got behind it totally and got super excited about it too. But at, when I first told her, when I first told them, and my dad didn't really just, didn't, he didn't really say much. He was like, okay, that's, that's cool. And like, I don't know what his thoughts were on it so much. But my mom was very open about it and it was so funny. Uh, but yeah, like I said, Lila and my brother and sister, uh, they were all super supportive and and uh, and my mom came around eventually too and then was a huge supporter and super into it. And uh, But it was funny at first, right? Because I mean, it's, it's such a big thing and it seems so I mean, you're walking 2,200 miles over mountains, you know? I mean, it just seems like something that, that's what other people do, not what, what you do, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just have to be one of those other people. <laughs> you got to realize that you can be. Yeah. It's a big part of it. Yeah, that's right. Is you too can do it. Mm -hmm. You can. 
Well, you said you had section hiked a little bit or been on the trail before. What did you actually expect, you know, the trail to be like and your through hike to be like? You know, I hiked most of the AT in Georgia or maybe half of the AT in Georgia before I actually started. I had no idea, though, north of North Carolina. I'd never hiked in – I don't think I'd ever hiked in Virginia or anywhere north of there. If I had, it was, you know, not much. It would have been insignificant. Uh, and certainly, definitely not north of Virginia. Um, I had no idea, really. I mean, I know I was going to be drinking water out of streams, and <laughs> I didn't even really know much about the AT shelters or anything. I, I, I you know, I figured – I'll be tenting. Maybe I'll stay in the shelters. I don't know. I knew that there were, I knew there were shelters, but I didn't really know exactly what that meant. Um, I, I just figured it'd be, you know, hiking and it's going to hurt. And, uh, but really, I, I really didn't know what to expect. It's, I figured long days of walking and I'd, you know, I'd read AWOL and Bill Bryson and some of the other books and uh, so it gives you like kind of a little bit of an idea. AWOL is pretty good for giving you a kind of like a really what it's like walking each day. I think he, he gives a real good perspective on it and maybe not exactly. I mean, it's different to read about it than to do it. But yeah, I mean, I really didn't, I didn't know. You know, I don't know, I don't know what the White Mountains look like. Hell, I was blown away when I saw them. Didn't know that something like that existed on the East Coast <laughs> at all. And a lot of the other places like that. I mean, it's just, I didn't know what to expect, really. Yeah, I want to ask how you got your trail name, but I also feel like I should, like, squash the whole, like, I don't know, like, uh, myth about trail names and how they're, like, this magical thing and it'll, like, choose you and someone will just give you this great name on the trail. Because honestly, I feel like there was a lot of like unnecessary pressure when you started to get a trail name. I don't know yeah. if you went through that yes, as totally. well. Yes, totally, 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 totally. <laughs> I was on the approach trail with my buddy who I started with, and and people were trying to give him names on the approach trail. It's just like yeah. you guys need to chill out, and um, I'm not going to take a bad name. <laughs> yeah, I heard some stories of people trying to get like people trying to give other people bad names. It's like, dude, yeah. you don't have to take it just because right, somebody you know, says this is your name. I mean, you want it to be cool and you want it to be a little bit creative. Like, yeah. I can't tell you how many people were named after like the food they were eating. Like, that's just lame. That's just like, you know, you felt, you felt pressure to get a trail name. I think there, like, is that who you want to be for the next several months? Yeah. Like, do you really want to stick with that? Totally agree. Totally, totally agree with that. Like, definitely don't just take it just because somebody gives you a name right yeah <laughs> i mean like think about it but don't like consume yourself with it and don't feel that pressure they're like oh well if you don't have a trail name by virginia or something then, then whatever it doesn't matter like yeah it's a it's a name and hell you can give it to yourself also don't be just whatever your name is please right, god yeah like no i'm just john no you're not just john <laughs> then you're gonna get everybody's gonna call you something else because you're not gonna be just john unless you're like just the nicest most humble person and then we're going to be like, okay, he's really shy. Yeah, but still, it's a cop-out. Like, it is know. totally a cop-out. So, yeah, you can't have just and then your name. It's played out. Please be a little bit more creative. Give it a little <laughs> bit of thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mine's not too far from it, but still. Still, I mean, you let it, it it's stuck. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a play on your name. It's a little bit of a It's play. acceptable. But it's, yeah, it's, I think it's all right. And, you know, I'm, my name's Chuckles. 
and uh, I'm always cheesing and laughing and smiling. And so uh, my name's Chuck, and a uh, girl I was hiking with, Thin Mint, uh, we had walked into North Carolina and I don't know, we're maybe like 10 days in or 12 days in, something like that. And I forget why, but she was just like, ha ha, okay, whatever, Chuckles. And she's like, oh, that's your trail name. I said, okay, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm all smiley and all, and it's not derogatory. It's not like a, a bad name. And, you know, I am always smiling and laughing. So, okay, that's fine. I'll be Chuckles. And, yeah, it, it, it worked out. There was one other Chuckles on the trail, but he dropped off around the Smokies. And so then I got to, I'm the only one in the yearbook, and I think I was the only Chuckles to finish last year. I think. All right, so that means you became like the Chuckles. Yeah. <laughs> Once that other guy dropped off, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is very fitting. It's still a little bit of a cop-out, I have to say. <laughs> but it's all right, it's cool. It could have been worse, could have been better. I'm not saying you don't have to settle because sometimes <laughs> no one does give you a better name, but just be mindful or like wait it out or yeah. you know, just give it a chance and don't, don't put too much pressure on yourself to, to get it as soon as you start. Yeah, people were calling me Rogan. People say I sound like Seth Rogan or something. I don't know. I get, I get that constantly. And so people were calling me Rogan or Rogue. I was like, yeah. nah, nah, I'm good on that. You do kind of sound like Seth Rogen. I think the people <laughs> listening could probably attest. But um, He stole yeah. it from me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he sounds like Chuck. That's the thing. <laughs> and don't like half-ass kind of commit to one that you don't really love. And be like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm John, but people have been calling me this. Like, no, either just flat out deny it yes, or take it on. Like, don't tell me this might be your trail name, but you haven't decided on it yet. Like, it's yeah. a yes or no, and you don't want to be known as that uncertain person because there's people that, like, switched their trail names, like, halfway through, and I didn't know their name. And if someone was trying to talk to me about them, I wouldn't have known because they switched their name. Like, just don't do that. Dude, they Facebook friend me after the trail, and I'm like, I don't know this person. What's, who's, like, what? What name is that? And then I'm like, oh, that's so-and-so. He was this before, and then he changed Like, okay, whatever. Just just commit to it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Go with it, and you can always do it again later. All right, if, if you can recall, what was, like, the pinnacle? What was the best moment on the trail? Or And this could be, you know, a period of time. It could be legit a moment. Oh, man, there's, like the whole thing so many times even like the bad is good and maybe that's uh hindsight reflection on it but starting was awesome because it was real and so it was amazing that whoa this is real i'm actually doing this i'm out here i'm 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 gonna do this or i'm gonna try to do it and crossing the first state line hitting the first hundred miles getting into the smokies i mean there's so many like milestones and those at the beginning are so important and they're so like meaningful and I can remember exactly everything about it because it's building your confidence and um, so that stuff's great. Uh, the Smokies are absolutely beautiful. I'll tell anybody about it that wants to talk about it. I love the Smokies. I think I, think I never realized that there was something like that in the South. Um, those are great. Best times, I don't know. I had a ton of fun walking in central Virginia. I was just with these people that we had a lot of fun, like around, like, so part of that was like 
when I saw y'all and like there through, that was after I got over my injuries and I really felt like, no, okay, I'm, I'm back. I didn't let these injuries knock me out. And so I was feeling good and I was starting to make miles and I was hanging out with some people that we had a, just really good chemistry and through Shenandoah, my parents came up and visited and, um, I don't know that that was a real good section, and then walking with with y'all through the Northeast, my body was starting to break down then. But um, we were all kind of going through that together, and so we kind of helped carry each other. And just through the landscape there, walking into Upper Goose Pond, and everybody being there, I had walked. That was like one of the most memorable things. Is I had been walking with Odie for a while, and we were hopping delis in new jersey and new york like we would like camp behind delis and stuff just to have a good breakfast and <laughs> so but i lost him in going into connecticut i lost him and i don't remember how i don't remember exactly how we lost each other but so i walked for oh i don't know like a week or five days or something just by myself like you know not Nobody I really knew, and I did a lot of walking during the day by myself, but I'd always like to like kind of camp with somebody or like have people to chit chat with. And that didn't always happen, but I went like a week where, yeah, I didn't really see anybody and it, it kind of had some bad weather and uh, there wasn't anybody like consistent. So I'd like run into some people, but it wasn't like I'd like, it was like, hey man, yeah, I'll, I'll like, let's, you know, meet up tonight here, or like you want to stop for lunch or whatever. And like I said, I kind of like walking alone some, but that was a section where I was, I was kind of tired and burnt out and going through, getting through the mid Atlantic is pretty tough. So I was alone for five days, seven days, something like that. And hadn't seen anybody and came into Upper Goose Pond. And it was like seven of people that I really liked that I hadn't seen in hundreds or even a thousand miles. And came in and everybody was there and it's this amazing location and all y'all were there and it was man that was like that was a very very nice night on the trail that was a big one i went in maine y'all remember i went up on the ridge y'all camped down in the valley with some people and i went up on this ridge to this road and it was open and it was the perseid meteor shower and you had this huge expanse in front of you in maine and this lake and you're on this road that's way up high and it's just so open and I camped there and I sat on this bench and I think I had like a beer or somebody had left a beer there or stopped and gave me a beer or something like that and sat up there and had a beer and just watched the sky fall and it was just super cool that was really cool um when Lila showed up with cake and freeze-dried margaritas in Vermont so you know the story, but I'll tell it. Like, Lila would keep my stats and like how many miles and where I was, how many miles I did each day and where I was. And she sent my food boxes and all to me. And so her and my sister contrived a plan without me knowing uh, to come visit in Vermont. I hadn't seen her in a month and since Pennsylvania, maybe a month and a half even. It'd been a while, but uh, they flew into Connecticut and drove up to Vermont and I hadn't had cell service. It's like one place Verizon doesn't work is Vermont. And so I hadn't had cell service for a couple of days. And so she just kind of knew what I was averaging, picked a spot, 
came there and heard my sister walk southbound on the trail for a while. And until they ran into somebody that said, oh, yeah, yeah I saw him. He's, he's coming up this way. And uh, I think we had come out of, was it Woodstock or something? I don't remember the name of the city up there in Vermont. And walking down the trail and it's dusk and it's 8 p.m. or something, 9 p.m., 8.30, something like that. It was dusk. And Lila and my sister are there. And I didn't even recognize them at first because what? I don't think they're going to be there. What the hell do I think they're doing in Vermont? And I'm like, oh, I got some blonde girls walking at me. Okay, all right. What's up, blonde girls? <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. And so that was fun. Spending a couple of days with them out of nowhere was great. That was a good time. My friend Zach came up and hiked with me for four days in Pennsylvania. And I really kind of needed that because feeling kind of alone Pennsylvania sucks but yeah so many good so many good times so many good things I and mean, you could go on all night about like oh just sitting by this stream was like an amazing time you know <laughs> swimming in all the lakes in Maine swimming in a waterfall I don't know you can go on forever the whites yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're like making me think I'm like damn there were a lot of really good times it would be hard to pinpoint one of them, but yeah, I, I remember you, uh, like in my memory, it's just you literally popping out of the woods, like just popping out at Upper Goose Pond. And we're like, what? Like Chuck's here? How the hell did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't seen any, I hadn't seen y'all. Hell, it really was, it might've been a thousand miles since I'd really seen y'all. It could have been. And it had been so long. And it was good timing because yeah, I was hiking with Curly and Em and we had kind of formed our main train. It was it was us three and our, our friend Calorie, and he had just gotten injured like a few days before, and we we're like, you know, we want to fill that fourth person spot so we can split motel rooms <laughs> and go two, <laughs> two and two on a bed. <laughs> and uh, as soon as Chuck, Chuckles popped out of the woods, we're like, all right, well, here's a potential candidate. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he didn't lose us until Maine. So yeah, so, yeah we, we walked the rest of the way together, which is kind of crazy with a little bit of, you know, hiccups here and there, but pretty um, solidly yeah, yeah. We stuck together from, from Upper Goose Pond to Katahdin, which is pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we really did. That was like 700 miles or something, 600 miles that we, that more or less we walked it all together. I mean, it's really hard to like stay with somebody every day because maybe you get behind or, I mean, there's just little things that'll kind of throw it off, but yeah, I mean, essentially, we walk the rest of the trail together. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, forming uh, the so-called main trains. Um, just because, first of all, you have to you have to like the people that you're hiking with. Yeah. And and then you have to be at the same pace as them. And um, and then time, you have to you know have encountered them at some point in time on the trail, and then um, decided that you guys we're gonna hike at the same pace and you know meet up at camp every night. But um, yeah, man, we had a great group. Yeah, it's that was solid. The pacing, I think, is a huge thing. Like, it's hard if because we were all moving quick. That's the thing is we were all we all had kind of an aggressive aggressive pace, and so to find you know a group of people that are on your pace, and that's the thing is like none of us were really. It's I, I wasn't like stretching to stay at that pace. It was kind of just the pace that I I wanted to be at, and. That's the thing is I, a lot of times people will, 
groups will break up or people will stop hiking with each other because maybe somebody's going too fast or somebody's going too slow. I mean, your experience at the beginning, I mean, mm -hmm. is the perfect example of like, you want to enjoy yourself. You don't want to rush through, but at the same time, you do have to hike 2,200 miles before it gets too cold to do it, before they shut down Katahdin. And that does require some sort of like pacing and um, setting plans to do that. I mean, it's not, you can't just dick around always. I mean, you need to have some time to really enjoy yourself and all, but you do really kind of have to think about it as a job, at least some. I mean, maybe you don't have to do that the whole time, but you kind of do. And maybe you work a part-time job and you really work hard when you're doing it, but you gotta, you gotta average, you know, what is it, 12 miles a day to do it in six months, 14, 14 or 14 and change to do it in five. Really? Yeah, it's something like that. And I think uh, it, is, it is something, that's with no zeros. That's with oh. no zero days. It depends, I mean, like, you're taking zero days and man, you gotta make up for those too. And zero days, will, a lot of zero days will really, really, they'll extend your hike, which nothing wrong with taking a lot of zeros, but it means on the days you hike, you gotta hike long. So actually about your best moment, Let's uh, turn that over on its head and talk about what were the worst moments or the worst moment. Mentally, yeah. physically, whatever you got. So we've talked about this, that like you forget about the bad times on the trail, but if you think about it, there are definitely bad times. And when you're in, the, in it, you're very unhappy. And I think the worst for me was the first like bad time was the shin splints, I, I got these shin splints and I was having tendonitis in the ankles and my ankles were hurting really bad. And so I swapped to tall boots that give me better ankle support. And the very first thing immediately within like 20 miles is I have these horrible shin splints because I'm walking differently and like so bad that I couldn't really walk anymore. And it just hurt and it slowed me down and I lost everybody that I knew and it was me it was me and the old lady contingent walking for a week together doing 10 mile days. <laughs> and that was actually fun. I really liked that, but it was just the pain of it. And like not being able to, um, not being able to like do what I wanted to be doing, which is moving. That sucked. That really, really sucked. And having to take some time off, like a, I only took a couple days off, but that was because I then ran so slow for a while. And so that, that part, that that was the first like really kind of like dude this sucks um and then it rained and it rained for like a month straight and it didn't rain on us that much last year it was a pretty dry year we got pretty lucky so you know i don't want to like i don't want to overplay the rain on our hike but it did rain for something like 30 days in a row at some point in each day and some of those days it rained all day and by the end of that i was we're in Parisburg, Virginia, which is not really all that great of a town. I'm Got not gonna... the buffet. <laughs> and there's a hostel there that's pretty cool, but the town is a little skeezy. You stay in the hotels downtown and it's pretty interesting. Uh, but coming out of there, and it, this is at, toward the end of that rain spell, and this is in May, like the early to middle May, something like that. Probably middle May, I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It had rained for like 30 days and coming out of there, man, going, climbing up on this ridge and then going down and the mud is so thick and it's just so nasty. And I'm 
like slipping on everything and falling and worried that I'm gonna like hurt myself. And this is just after I've finally gotten over all my injuries and just worried that I'm gonna hurt myself and end up busting out over some stupid mud on this BS trail. And it's like, I'm so angry and I'm so tired of the rain and everything's always wet and it's just miserable. And I think that was my lowest point on the trail was dealing with just that consistent wet rain situation for just days and days. That sucked. That part sucked. And then uh, Pennsylvania, man. God, the rocks in northern Pennsylvania. That is just like, dude, I think that might have, now that I think about it, it might have been even worse than the mud, man. <laughs> that was just so bad. Like, you can't go, you can't go. Like, picture just a road, and you can't get off of the road, but you're on the road, and the road is all jagged, softball-sized rocks. And the whole damn thing is paved with irregular-shaped rocks like that. And maybe some are a little bit bigger, some are a little bit smaller, but you damn sure aren't walking on dirt, and it's not smooth any point, and it hurts. And you're tripping constantly, and you have to focus so much, so walking 10 miles at is it feels like just the most incredibly difficult thing because you're so focused. Otherwise, you're just gonna fall down and you're gonna bust out. You're gonna bust out over some stupid Pennsylvania rock. And water's hard there and it's just, that's a really challenging time. Boy, getting to Delaware Water Gap was like, man, that was a, that was a real accomplishment to know that I was out of Pennsylvania. That, that was really tough. Um, Southern Maine, it was a really hard time because mentally you hear about the whites and the whites are so hard and you know once you get through the whites everything's gonna be all right nah dude southern maine is it's no joke and not people don't tell you about southern maine like they tell you about the whites the whites are hard but when you get there you're so mentally prepared that it's like i know it's gonna be hard i know it's gonna be difficult but you've set yourself up for that and so you're it's all right it's hard but it's not it's not the end of the world Southern Maine, boy, it's hard as hell. And ain't nobody tell you about how hard that was going to be. <laughs> like, that was the only time I thought I was going to, like, risk death on the trail with Southern Maine. Like, this, you get in and it's like, how the hell do you get down this section? There's nothing to grab on. It's slippery and there's roots everywhere. And it's like, dude, you make one misstep, you're going to fall off this cliff and you're, like, legit, you're dead. <laughs> and, like, I didn't really feel like that anywhere else. And so that was kind of annoying because your body's falling apart there and you think that you've made it through the hardest part and you got a long, you got another 150 miles of really tough terrain. And when you finally realize that it's, it's not uplifting and mentally you're, you're not in a good place there. Your gear starts falling apart there. Southern Maine's hard. It's beautiful, but boy, you work for it. Man, I got a few things to say about that. And yeah, rain. I mean, yeah, we had a light year relatively speaking but i remember getting poured on like day after day and just always being wet and i'll tell you like there's nothing worse than having to get up and pack up all your shit and it be all wet packing up a wet tent the like, worst not only is it added weight because all the water is like collected in your gear but just like it's cold and like it's not warm in the morning and i'm freezing and i don't want to wake up and i don't want to hike all these miles every day and it's just like that's not the way to start your day and it, it's it, it was slow so slow to get me going on days like that and um i mean once you get going and you warm up and and you're on the trail it's just like you know you snap right into it but getting 
to the point where you're yeah. like you're done you ate breakfast everything's packed up it was very debilitating and very hard and yeah the rain sucks and it'll really test you it really will and then yeah southern rain no one does tell you about that nope that came out of nowhere dude i thought you remember we caught that hitch we got onto the road and we caught that hitch like we didn't even get our thumbs out before we caught that hitch and i was like hell yeah man we're done with the whites this is about to be awesome and then we hit the trail again and it was like this is maybe even worse terrain than what we just came from this is this is horrible this is super steep and like more rocky more rooty like i don't know it could be worse like i mean that all blends in like to one section for me is the whites <laughs> in southern maine because yeah it never it never stopped you know it's not oh. like it's not like the whites came and then you had some break and then you know the mountains are getting big it's like no it's just consistently tough climbing hiking and if it was wet it was super sketchy because yeah there's a lot of rocks like random big ass rocks that you have to i mean kind of climb up but or like scale or whatever like sidestep up or down and if that stuff is wet you better hope there's a tree to to grab onto to kind of like lower yourself down or pull yourself up the ladders and like the like people have ropes set and yeah that area was crazy man that was the most totally the most surprising to me that i hadn't heard anything about how how crazy that was completely blown away super sketchy terrain and speaking on pennsylvania I remember walking through Pennsylvania, I'm like, I remember getting warned from the first day I stepped on the trail. Um, I remember when I was in, at the NOC, I met this southbounder who had hiked the year prior, and he's like, if I could give you any advice, it's just to skip Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I'm like, give me a break, dude, like, whatever, this guy. And then, you know, you keep hearing on the trail, like, oh, no, Pennsylvania is going to suck. It's going to be terrible. I walked like three quarters of Pennsylvania and I was like, what are these people talking about? This is fine. It's great. It's flat. This is awesome. Why are people complaining? Oh, I see some rocks, but it's nothing to complain about. And then it hits you and you're like, holy shit. Why did I doubt everyone? Why did I think all those people were making this up? And it just, it gets really, real, really quick. And, and Pennsylvania is tough on its own because the water sources are so scarce like you have to have either big days or small days because you need to finish by water and you need to know that you can hydrate and and have water to cook with and to you know just hiking and having enough water to stay hydrated um so yeah pennsylvania is no joke and i guess people should be more specific and say it's the the later part of pennsylvania, it's the like the last 100 part. miles or 120 miles something like that where the first part of Pennsylvania, yeah, it was like actually pretty easy. I mean, you hit the half point and so mentally you're pretty pumped up. The problem is that you're hitting that horrible terrain right after you've hit the half point and you realize, man, you've been walking for like two and a half, three months and you still have that much more to go. And the terrain just got less interesting because there's not as many views. It got like more miserable, it got hot. Uh, you're running at lower elevation, so it's always hotter. The water sources are dry, and the towns aren't as, I mean, let's be honest, they're not as interesting. So, like, Pennsylvania is a, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you do about Pennsylvania. You just kind of suck it up and do it. But, yeah, man, totally. And, and that's the thing is exactly, you've heard about, you heard about it. And so the beginning of Pennsylvania, it's not that bad. And you're like, hell man, if this is all it is, like, okay. It's like the opposite of Maine. You've, 
you've heard nothing about Maine and it's horrible. <laughs> and you hear everything about Pennsylvania and it's even worse than you expected when you finally hit it. But it's like, you think it's nothing and then it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, Northern Pennsylvania, watch out. It's it's pretty much, I think, starting after Duncannon. Like, you get to Duncannon and yeah. then when you, when you hike out of there, um, very scarce water sources and... Yeah, after that, there's not really fun terrain. Yeah. Yeah. All the way to the, all the way to the New Jersey line. All the way. You are not out of it until the end. <laughs> so be ready to just put your head down and hike through that as fast as possible. Don't skip it. It's part of the experience. <laughs> yeah, don't skip it. It's part of the trail. You come on, yeah. don't want to be a purist or whatever. You want to hike all the time. You got to know how bad it is. I mean, it's the bad, it's, it's so bad, it, it's a nice contrast with the good. Just, you don't know how good it can be unless you know just how bad it can be. Yeah, I think that anticipation kind of like messed with my head though in Pennsylvania because I was waiting for it and waiting for it and yeah. waiting for it. And then I was kind of convinced that it wasn't coming. Same. And then it came and it punched me right in the face. Same, like, exact real. same thing for me. And after like three days of it, dude, I ended up leaving everybody and just doing like 20 miles a day, 22, 23 over those rocks just because I was like, I got to get out of here. I can't, I can't stay here. I can't do I can't do 10 miles and know that I'm going to be here for another like week, week and a half of this shit because once you get in it and you realize what it is that people are talking about and everybody says and everybody you hear says oh northern when you start talking to people they're like no northern Pennsylvania and then you realize that dude it's actually going to be like this for the next like 80, 100, 120 miles and then you're like for me at least I was like this is kind of dumb, but I'm going to be up early and I'm going to walk until dusk and I'm just going to get through this because I don't want to spend yeah. 10 days here doing like, you know, 12, 14 mile days on this. I just want to get through it. I remember how terrible that was because, yeah, I had the same mindset. I wanted it to be done as soon as possible yes. and I was trucking through and I actually had to stop because my feet were in shambles. Yeah. And it, it was like, it was just happened to be the part of the trail where my shoes decided that like they were just caked like they were done and um i was walking like i'd get to camp at the end of the day my feet would be aching and i'd i'd take out my feet and take my socks off and i remember uh i was sharing a shelter with this guy even keel and he looked at my feet and he's like dude i ain't never seen nothing like that before (laughs) they looked like they were scaled or something because they were like moist i don't know like sweat and water and not being able to dry from like wet days and and the socks like you know just like suctioning to my feet i was in bad shape and there was like no cushioning left between me and the earth when i was hiking and the earth in northern pennsylvania like we said it's just rocks and they're jagged and like your feet are just they're done they're totaled they will tear up your shoes they will tear up your feet mm-hmm. the those rocks man they're rough yeah either yeah I trekking would've... poles too because you're constantly tripping and so you're throwing your poles and so you'll bend the hell out of them yeah if you can if if the timing's right get some new shoes maybe before <laughs> yeah or be ready to get some after because they're gonna be pretty torn up <laughs> yeah or get some after and then just like feel like you're in heaven when <laughs> yeah. it's nice terrain and nice puffy cushion shoes. <laughs> Hard to get through that and deal with it though, right? I mean, that's the thing. Oh, it's yeah. like, do you really want to go on torn up shoes into Pennsylvania? You don't. The answer is no, you don't. And I even had, uh, I put in new insoles thinking that would like, you know, prolong the life of my shoes. And it did, but like they were just crappy Walmart insoles. And I'm like, oh yeah, this will be fine. My mentality, like, just get the cheap stuff. It's fine. But, like, no, my, my feet did not like me. And, uh, 
and walking through those rocks were tough and, and definitely destroyed what I had left of my, my hiking shoes. All right, so during those like long stretches where it was super tough, what was your self-talk? What were you kind of saying in, in your head to help you keep going? Um, I'm kind of real goal-oriented. And so I would set like little goals and like, okay, I want to try to do this pace um, for the next hour. Or I want to try to make this waypoint or this marker or this stream by this point. And so then I would kind of, I would kind of like think about that and try to use that kind of focus and goal setting and like breaking it up into like, this is my goal for the day or this is my goal. I want to be to this point by no later than this day. And then like, what's what, what do I want to do today? What's like the minimum I want to do today? And then like, how do I break that down? Like, oh, I don't want to stop for lunch until I get to this point. And just trying to break down and like thinking through those little goals and setting small goals that are achievable that you can hit that goal and then that's part of a bigger goal and say you're getting these little like I'm making these things and I'm hitting them and it, it helps get you through it that like you're focused on just like dude I just got to get like the next two miles or like whatever it is and just like setting those small goals um, and focusing on that I mean that and then just like also kind of like putting on something on the earbuds and not thinking about it on that <laughs> when it got like that it's like dude i gotta i gotta put something on and just like not think about it but if i wasn't listening to anything and or even if i was just trying to set those goals and like giving me like little successes like okay i got through that and i've heard this section's hard so i just got to get through this and you know try to get those couple miles and just make miles and the hard stuff it's just put just make the miles and get it behind you it heard a saying one time, it can't keep getting worse forever. At some point there has to be, it may get worse and worse and worse, but there's going to be like a point where it's like, that's a little bit better than it has been. And that's like enough to make you feel like, okay, okay, I'm getting somewhere. And, you know, it's not going to keep getting better always either, but like, <laughs> don't, don't, you know, get, oh my God, it's just so horrible and it's never going to get better. You know, and you know, it has to get a little bit better at least at some point. And just to keep that mindset and stay positive. Like that's, that's the self-talk is like, dude, it's going to be all right. It's cool. This sucks right now. And like, it's, it's going to be all right though. Like the rain for, it can't rain forever. It has to stop at some point. And like, just keep telling yourself that and you know, it's just another day, just get through it and it's gonna be okay. Like one of these days it's gonna get better. <laughs> and like, what did you think? It was gonna be like a breeze the whole time? You know, you can't get, you can't get too, you can't let it beat you down too much because it's gonna be hard. Dude, you're walking, again, you're walking 2,200 miles over mountains with a backpack on. What the hell do you expect? <laughs> it's gonna be easy the whole time? <laughs> You know, setting those small goals is super important because I feel like the trail like in itself is, I mean, it's kind of like perfect in the sense that there's always a goal that you can achieve like around the corner at, at something like there's always some sort of payoff. Um, so yeah, like you know you're starting, whether you're northbound or southbound, let's say northbound, starting from Georgia and you know you're going to Maine, but what are you going to hit along the way? Like every state line that you cross is a huge achievement. So like you're going from one to the other and then when you break down those state lines, it's just like, okay, well I gotta do this many miles for this many days and I'll get there in a week or in um, a few weeks or whatever. And just like kind of compartmentalizing um, your plan of attack 
to kind of tackle the whole entire trail is very important and I think it makes it like more feasible um, and more easy to even just wrap your head around what you're doing because that's a massive distance to be walking on your feet and it's a pretty long period of time taking an on average six months so you need to be able to kind of break it down for yourself and, and make those small goals so you can feel like you're achieving something like consistently. What's the saying? The saying is, I think, you can't, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, just like you eat anything else. It's just a, a really big thing. And so focus on just one bite at a time and you'll get there. And it's, that's what it is. Right, you gotta keep like the, the big picture in mind while you're just taking those small bites, which is important, but yeah, just focus on what you're doing in the present. If you can recall, what was the best trail magic or trail angel that you experienced? Chocolate cake day in my margaritas was pretty amazing when Lila showed up in Vermont. That was amazing. Um, the time that we got out on the road and before we got our thumbs out, guy in Maine pulled over and was like, hey man, y'all need a ride? And was going exactly where we wanted to be going. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, Miss Janet picking me up um, outside of Irwin, Tennessee. She was just like in the right place at the right time, man. It was just so good. Like I was so done that day and I was gonna do another like six miles or something and I was so tired and I did not want to walk anymore. And I came out onto the road and she was sleeping in her van right there. I was like, hey, you going to town? <laughs> yeah, perfect. That was great. Um, I don't know, like all of it, you know, all the, my parents, when they came up, man, they were awesome. Like broke out the grill and cooked for us. And I mean, that was, that was great. Um, Lila's parents in Maine, when we saw Carl Meltzer and like they brought us all those pizzas, that was great. You know, that was just awesome. That was the day that we did Mahusik and uh, Old Speck. And we came off of that. That's a hard, it's a hard day. It's a, it's a cool day, but it's a hard day. And so that was really great to get there and just have like pizza and weird dude came up. <laughs> that weird dude that came up? <laughs> yeah, wait, the one who stole uh, one of our slices of yeah, pizza. Yeah, he like took our like last slice of pizza. And, like what the yeah, hell is this Curly doing? was not happy that no, day. No, he was very unhappy. And like, you know, you try to like, it's trail magic, you know, you try to like, you know, make sure it goes around and all, but it wasn't really, it was trail magic, like, but it was like, uh, it was like out, it was like us. It was, you know, Lila's family. It wasn't, they weren't out there like doing trail magic. So I don't know, can you count that as trail magic? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's private, personal trail magic. Um, I don't know, there's a lot, oh, huh, dumpster beer. Dumpster beer, man, that was the ultimate trail magic. And it wasn't meant to be trail magic. It was sort of accidental trail magic. Um, some business in Hot Springs, North Carolina, there's like a, there's a place, there's these uh, cabins right on the river there. And it was like a convenience store or a camp shop or something there. But anyway, they were, they were closing for the season or closing for good. Nobody could really figure out what was going on. But the owner... He dumped all the beer from the store into a dumpster, which don't ask me why, never, it's a mystery and it's not gonna be a mystery anybody's ever gonna solve. But he dumped a bunch of beer in there and you know, we're hikers, we're 
you know, scavengers and whatnot. And I remember, uh, I forget his name, man, came up to me and said, hey, man, uh, just found some beer in the dumpster over here. What the hell is his name? Iron Man. Iron Man. You know Iron Man? Yeah. Yo, he's Iron man. man. Yeah, he was awesome, man. We had hung out the night before. We were at, I forget the name of the hostel there in Hot Springs, but we were at the hostel hanging out, and, you know, we went down to town to get lunch. It was my first zero, and went down to town to get lunch and ran into him, and we were going to get ice cream or something. Ran into him, and he's like, hey, man, hey, man, um, there's, there's beer over here in this dumpster. There's, like, there's beer in it. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah, there's beer in a dumpster, sure. Why would anybody throw out beer? And he's like, no, it's like a lot of beer in this dumpster. All right, whatever. And he'd been drinking already. And that was, but, you know, that's all right. He's taking a zero. That's what you do. It's cool. And uh, so the ice cream shop was kind of down by the shop. He was talking about where the dumpster beer was. And I was like, all right, whatever. We'll go check out this dumpster beer. Got over there, and I'll be damned. There were... I at minimum 500 beers in that dumpster. And it might've been upwards of that. It might've been closer to a thousand. There was a lot. It was an amazing amount of beer. I mean, there's at this point, there's like two other people there with us and like people are jumping in the dumpster and like just the happiest in the, that you could ever be. And most of it's like, you know, Natty Light, Budweiser, not even any Miller Lite or anything like that, but there was some good stuff there. You dug through, you could get some, there were a few microbrews in and all, and you know, crap beer. And it was pretty good, man. And dude, everybody's grabbing beer, running off with it. I mean, it, it was crazy. And the owner comes out, I guess the owner of the business that's going under, and he comes out and he, he talks to us and he says, dude, you can't do that. You can't, you can't get that beer. Like that, you know, that beer's bad. And we look at each other and we're like, there's no such thing as bad beer. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? <laughs> at least for us, maybe in the real world. But the, and, I, you know, this is canned beer. Canned beer I don't think goes bad. And at least not in the time frame this guy's talking about. And so we're, like, trying to get everything out. And he, he comes out there and he, like, shoes us all off and locks up the dumpster and throws a railroad tie on top of it. <laughs> well... <laughs> We got some beer out before he did that, and as soon as he left, they knocked that railroad tie off, and they jumped in over the top of the dumpster, and they got in there, and man, everybody's walking through town with just carrying like two cases of beer. Spontaneous, like hippie hiker festival on the river, and it, you know, I only stayed for one night because I was like, man, I can't, I can't get bogged down in this for like the next like week, and I'd taken a zero that day, and so I didn't want a double zero there. Maybe I should have, but. Man, that was uh, that was crazy. I guess they drank, they they stayed on that beer for several days, and they got kind of crazy down there by the river. I mean, it was seriously spontaneous hippie festival, man. It was great. I texted my brother some pictures of it, and he said, "Man, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. That needs to be national news." <laughs> that was dumpster beer. Yeah, so I have to say that happens a lot on the trail when you're kind of at the right place at the right time. You'll hear this saying many times along the way, the trail provides. And it really freaking does because there's been multiple times where I was at the right place at the right time. And I know everyone else that I've come into contact with can say the same thing. And um, that's kind of like the best part about the trail is kind of those moments when you are at the right place at the right time and things just kind of work out or you're just 
there when something amazing is happening and you're just happy to be a part of it and you know that if you were living your normal life working your normal nine to five that you would never experience anything like this and uh i think that's why everybody looks so fondly back on their experience on the trail because of those moments because i mean what are the odds of you know that business going under or that guy throwing out thousands of beers <laughs> for whatever reason and you guys just being there to, to reap the benefits of that um it's unbelievable and for it to become like you know an impromptu festival of sorts there's a picture of it in the yearbook it's got its own picture <laughs> there you go and it's funny because you're telling that story it's just like Sometimes you're closer to like a homeless person <laughs> than like, you know, a normal civilian. You're a homeless person with a goal. Yeah, you're kind of like teetering the line as a through hiker. You're like voluntarily homeless. Totally. Totally, totally. Yeah. Man, I wish I was there for that dumpster beer. It sounds awesome. It was, it was a good one. Can you recall what like your favorite view was? Um, man, there's, there's a lot. Uh, the main, all of Maine, Maine's so cool because of all the ponds and uh, all the conifers and it's just kind of rocky and rugged and you don't see, you don't see towns as much. Um, but I think each state has some views like that. I mean, even Pennsylvania, just the views of the farmland, I actually kind of really like those. It's just something different and sitting on a ridge and just looking out over this, you know, multicolored landscape below you of everything that they're growing. That's really cool. Um, I don't know. The Smokies were cool. Any, any real high up stuff is always cool just to be able to see all around. And there was a spot where everybody in Shenandoah was talking about oh, Shenandoah. It's, it's pretty cool and all like the trail's nice and, it's, it's pretty and all, but my kind of thoughts on Shenandoah were the best views were on the road. Like Shenandoah was a car, a car national park and the hikers were kind of second place. And so our trail didn't have as many good views as the road did, but man, there was one, I don't remember the name of it, but it was really near the Northern end of the park. And it was like three tenths off the trail. And so nobody went to it. And for whatever reason, I decided to go to it that day. And it was this weird spot where you could get on top of this like rock pile and you could look like straight down at this road that came into the park and it was it was a real steep drop to it. So you had this really cool view down to like this entry place in the park and and you could get on top of it and have like 360 views all around. I, I don't remember the name of it, but it's at the northern end of Shenandoah and that was a real cool spot. Um, McAfee Knob, Dragon's Tooth, those are both really cool. Um, oh, Stratton Mountain in Vermont when you're up at the ski lift and all and you got the views all around and all of the fire towers, any fire tower, those are always great. Um, I was in New Jersey for the 4th and getting up into the fire towers and looking around and watching the fireworks was really cool. Uh, a lot of, there's so many, it's, it's hard and each one's kind of different and in their own way, they're amazing. The whites, of course, I mean, like, I guess I take for granted the whites and don't even mention it because it's just a, I don't know, they're, they're, they're pretty amazing. I didn't get, I got some weather on, on quite a few of them. So I didn't get as many views in the whites as probably as, as some people do, but it's still amazing. Yeah. The whites 
they already have so much hype around them, so I guess you don't really have to like build them up anymore. But they are pretty amazing. Being above tree line and like riding ridges is just unbelievable. And the whites do have this very unique perspective as opposed to the rest of the trail, just because you're above tree line and uh, you're not like in foliage the whole time, which is really cool. Super unique. Like that's the place. Like I didn't realize there was something like that on the East Coast. I didn't know that. You know, I've never hiked in the Northeast. Never even been to the Northeast, really. Not not up to Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. I had never been. And I had no idea. Like, driving through driving through the passes in the whites, like, looking at it from that perspective, it's like, wow, this like looks like something in the Alps or in the Rockies or something. I had no idea that there was anything like this on the East Coast. And people say, I remember one girl dropped off the trail because she was in North Carolina and she said, oh, it's all just the same. It's just going to be the same scenery all the way. I can't deal with this. And she had hiked most of the PCT or something the year before. And she was just like, I just can't deal with this. This is just going to be the way it is the whole East Coast. Not at all. It is very different when you're out in it. And each state you cross is different. And you get different sort of perspectives and different views in each state. And so... There's something great in each state. Even even talking about how horrible Pennsylvania was, there's still a lot of really cool stuff there too. It's and it's different than New Jersey, which is different than New York, which is different than Connecticut. And they're they're each different, and they may not be, you know, the most stark contrast, but there are there are definitely differences, and there are places where it is very different. I mean, I didn't realize there were conifer forests in the south at all but in the smokies it's like uh it's a conifer forest and you can look at it and just see the life cycle of the forest you can see like the ecosystem and what's happening there and that's just crazy and it's not it's not what you know you would think at least not what i would think yeah i mean a lot of it does look the same i guess um maybe in the first quarter first half but at the same time, there are those like amazing, magnificent views that you'll catch in some, some breaks. And I mean, that just makes it all, all the more rewarding and it just makes it a bigger payoff, you know, that you, you earn the views that you see. And you have to like make it out of those green tunnels or whatever and, yeah. and make it to the amazing views that make the trail worth, worth it and worth hiking. I didn't even mention Roan or Grayson. And those are amazing too. Roan, like you're just walking on this bald. There's like, little town down below and like mountains all around. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah, I mean, all of Appalachia is just like, it's incredible. It really is. And, and there are so many great things to see. And, and, when, it, and when there were like pretty uh, abrupt changes along the way, that was like the best parts because I remember being blown away. Um, I think it was like after Rhone maybe hump mountain and those grassy balds right yeah they just yeah. came out of nowhere like you'd out pop of out nowhere. of the mountains and you'd be on these beautiful balds and then you'd be walking through fields and then all within you know a few miles of hiking um which would be like a day's hike but there'd be a lot of like differences and it was really cool to experience that much in one hike and i remember just being like wow no one no one talked about this either and this is one of my favorite places on the trail now yeah what was your favorite town and why? I mean, it's hard to argue with hot springs and dumpster beer, but <laughs> uh, 
And I had fun in Damascus. I wasn't there for trail days. I, I was there in the couple days before trail days, and I had a really good time there, um, just hanging out with, you know, people as they were all coming into town. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I had kind of a, I, I mean, I guess I had a good time in most of the towns, but I don't know that one, I can't specifically think of anything that's standing out right now as like the best town. I'll try to help you out. What about like, was there a best meal or best food that you had in a town yes. that you could recall? Yeah. What is it? Uh, what is the name of it? Something Bridge, Connecticut. Something Bridge, Connecticut. Man, oh, I wish I could remember the name of it. It was like a little store next to the post office. I went to get my my mail drop at the post office. There's a little store there, and I was like, "Cool, I'll go like get some Doritos or something um, to carry out, so I got something other than just my mail drop stuff." And they had a it was like a little deli too. Man, that Reuben in there was the best Reuben I think I've probably ever had in my life, and it was so good. And Cornwall Bridge, I think, is the name of the town. I and I think that's the name of it. And man, that was, it was so good. And it was so unexpected. Cause it's really, it's like a post office, this little store. And then there might've been like one other little shop or something in this town. It was like nothing. It's like a blip on the map. And it was so surprising and it was so great. That one was great. Um, you were with me in Maine. We went and we had a pizza at this one place. Pizza in Maine. Maybe I'm just remembering. I remember having pizza in Vermont. We're Maybe in, we're in Lila Vermont. and uh, your sister were in town. I don't remember pizza Maybe. in Maine. Oh yeah, that pizza was pretty good. That pizza in Vermont was pretty good. Um, it has some pretty good barbecue or like fried chicken and um, and Hiawassee. That's here in Georgia though, so that's uh, you know I get that kind of all the time. But wait, don't tell me at Daniel's. It's like a buffet. Dude, that place, yeah, dang. The fried chicken was it good. It wasn't that good. The fried everyone, chicken was dude, good. Everyone was talking about this buffet and like. The buffet wasn't good, but the fried chicken was good. The fried chicken was all right from the buffet, but let me tell you this. We had this guy give us, uh, we couldn't get a hitch, so we had to like shuttle from the, the budget in shuttle. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. this guy shuttles. He was a driver. He, he was driving us. We're like, hey, like, you know, what's your take? It was our first time in stopping in town. And we wanted, yeah. you know, to know what was the best place to eat. And he goes, oh, yeah, Daniel's is where it's at. And like, we kept hearing about Daniel's, Daniel's this, Daniel's that. We're like, okay, it must be good. He goes, he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I go there once a year for my birthday. I'm like, oh, shit, like, is this place expensive? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that expensive. So, uh, so, yeah, I mean, we had some pretty – high expectations and I mean it was just so it was okay you know was the chicken like, was good the rest of it was like meh yeah like the like people talking about the dessert and I'm like meh it's alright I mean it's, it's a buffet like you yeah. go any, to any buffet any like you know southern style buffet it's just, just the same like yeah the chicken's good because how do you mess up fried chicken it's good it's true but at the same time it's just like you know green beans and mashed potatoes like they're, they're, it's not spectacular it's just like okay cool I guess a lot of sides we got barbecue at a place in in Hiawassee too. That that was pretty good. I got ribs, and that was that was pretty solid. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, town food. All town food is good food, though. Really, 
Do you remember any like really extreme weather conditions? Yeah, um, I got caught in a couple things. Um, the first one was in North Carolina and and left out of a Standing Bear hostel and it it had rained earlier and it stopped raining for a little bit and it looked like it was gonna clear up and left. Went out, looked like it was gonna be okay. It started drizzling, thought it was gonna be all right. And it uh, started pouring. Didn't put on my rain jacket because I thought it was gonna be just a quick shower and it kept pouring. And I'm hiking higher and higher up and got to the point where it was like, dude, I'm soaked all the way through. There's no point in putting on the rain jacket now, but now I'm freezing. Um, so I have no choice but to keep moving because I'm actually, it would be dangerous for me to not move right now. I need to be generating heat. And then it starts lightning all around us and everybody has taken any spot on the trail. This, there's not a lot of spots to set up and everyone we come to where it looks like it's a spot, there were three of us hiking, it was me and Chicken Fried and Thin Mint. And every spot we came to that we would have set up real quick and just got in the tent and like tried to dry off and you know do whatever uh, was taken. And so we're continuing to walk on this ridge and lightning striking around us and that was not cool. Uh, totally not cool. It ended up being all right. We walked all the way through it. It finally stopped. Um, got to a place where a dude pantry had kept uh, fire through the storm, just barely going. And we reset, we rekindled that fire and we we're peeling bark off sticks to get to the dry core of it and got this fire going. Some of his friends from Johnson City came down and brought some liquor and uh, we ended up having a great night. But boy, it was a hell of a day, man. That was a that was the first part where I was like, man, this is like the weather out here can get real, real crazy. And I was lucky that I didn't have a worse outcome than happened there. Um, that one was crazy um, on Mount Washington. It was kind of nuts. Uh, I think we got up there. I mean, every, I think everybody has a story on Mount Washington about the weather. We got up there and it was sunny and 70, 75, 80 degrees. And by the time we got off, off the peak, it was, clouded over in 20, 20, 25 degrees cooler. That was kind of crazy. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't remember where it was, but I remember uh, like you were a little bit ahead of us one day and you and Argyle were like hey. hiding behind trees with all your rain gear on and we almost missed you, but we were in like the thick of a storm and we were in the same boat that you were in where you just had to keep going and you didn't want to. Greylock. We were on Greylock. Okay. We were on the side of Greylock. Yeah, man. And that was like, we were exposed. That was like the side of the mountain where the wind was hitting and it was coming down and it was like, it was a really bad storm. And we just like. Huge wind. Uh -huh. Like probably 40, 50 mile per hour wind. And I, it was like kind of warm out that day and I refused to put my rain gear on. So I had to keep going. <laughs> And I was freaking miserable, but then I saw you guys hiding behind the trees on the side. And I'm like, all right, I'll be all right. I was so embarrassed you walking by, and I'm like hiding behind the tree. And I'm like, he's out there. In the I storm. could like what barely, see, I, I could barely see you, but I made, I made you guys out. But like, it there was so much wind and rain that I could barely see you. That um, was. It was a really bad storm, and people were trying to give out like ice cream or something on yeah, the trail before. Yeah, these guys had hiked in ice cream on on uh, dry ice. And they were like miles in handing out ice creams that were frozen. It was amazing. And yeah, like I finished my ice cream and like all of a sudden the storm just like broke like immediately. Man, that was crazy. I forgot about that one. I did see you on that one. And that was, 
that was the that was one of the top like two or three craziest weather I got the whole trail. Yeah, that was that was rough. Where did you experience the most physical challenges on the trail? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the hardest land is southern Maine because I wasn't mentally prepared for it. Uh, Pennsylvania, the rocks, and the obstacle in Pennsylvania of finding water. Uh, that got like that in New York too, but the locals are so nice that they just leave so much water out that like, okay, the streams are non-existent or horrible water that you don't want to drink, but the locals supply it. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we, you know, we've talked a little bit about that. Um, the whites are hard. Um, overcoming just your self-doubt in the beginning is a, is a big obstacle and, uh, injuries yeah I think for sure the mental aspect is much harder than the physical aspect like as long as you're you know in, in good enough shape to be able to do it um, which it's just yeah it's your mind that can get in the way good enough shape is like most people I mean there's people out there that are really messed up but good enough shape is like I mean yeah lots of people are not in good enough shape but if you're young you're probably in good enough shape I was fat and hadn't worked out in years when I started. I lost 40 pounds on the trail. Yeah, well, the good thing is you can go at your own pace, and you, you don't have to push it yep. you know, until you're ready to. And it is kind of just walking, but at the same time, it's like you know, strenuous walking because you're walking up mountains. It's, with weight. You know, yeah, <laughs> with a lot of weight. So, I mean, you do have the, the luxury of being able to walk at your own pace and take it easy and work your way up. But it is, it is really tough. But with that being said, I think more people can do it maybe than they think. Can you recall like the most interesting person that you met on the trail? Just a <laughs> real eccentric. Lots of them, like everybody out there is such a weirdo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think the most, the most amazing people I met were the older people that were still in good enough shape to do it. And like, like, a guy, I think his name was 48er. He had through hiked in 89 or 88, something like that. And he's 73. And his wife wanted to through hike because she hadn't done it. And so he would, they would stay in campsites and hotels. So they didn't stay on trail very much, but they would, he would drive her south every day to where, or to wherever they left off, south, north, whatever. And then he would drive north to where they were going to end the day, and he would trail run southbound on the trail from where he parked the car until he hit her and then walked the rest of the way back to the car with her northbound. And so he ran the trail southbound last year, more or less, and he hiked the trail northbound last year at 73 years old. That's a crazy guy. Uh, New Hampshire Bob had one lung, and he was late 60s. He's pretty amazing. Um, I'm, there's so many of them. That's, I'm, you know, I could probably go on forever, and I'm sure I would forget plenty of people. But New Hampshire, Bob, man, where you were, you were there when we were in, uh, I think we were in Maine. Yeah, at the campsite, camp Rainbow yeah. Campsite. <laughs> yeah, yes. we're, and, we're, and like we had heard this name, New Hampshire, Bob, like many times, and I just like figured it was some like, you know, legend of the trail who had hiked it like years ago. <laughs> Meanwhile, the guy's on the trail now. And, um, you know, for one reason or another, his name came up like around a campfire. 
people start talking about him, exchanging stories about what they had heard, and like you know, it keeps snowballing into this like big folklore story. And then all of a sudden, you hear you hear this guy in his tent. And he goes, "What else you hear about me?" <laughs> and, and he just pops out of the tent and joins us for the fire. <laughs> We're like, "You're New Hampshire, Bob?" He goes, "Yep." <laughs> so like nonchalant about it, but yeah, he was a man. I think that was our last night camping on the trail. That's the thing is, I think that was our last night, and he was like the last person I had heard all of these things about that I hadn't met, mm-hmm. and met him like the last night camping. I think you're right about that. Yeah, it was the last we, we night were like before, inching like, in on Katahdin yeah. at that point. Yeah, that yeah. was really funny that we were all talking about him, and then he pops out of his tent. And he's like, "Y'all talking about me?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "What just happened?" Again, right place, right time. The trail provided freaking New Hampshire Bob for us. Yeah, he was awesome. He was a good guy. What was the best trail name that you heard for another person? Uh, the most unique trail name was Privy Creeper. Uh, Privy Creeper was a dude that, like, I don't know, man. It, he he only went to Damascus, and then he went home. But damn, boy, that name, man, that name was, like, legendary. I mean, dude was... I don't know if he named himself, but he was totally okay with taking that name. And the the crazy thing is he was like an outgoing, friendly dude. And so it was kind of a, he wasn't like this weird, creepy guy that you would think. And so like you met the guy and you're like, all right, this guy, he was like more like a bro, like a frat boy or something. (laughs) But that name was, that was a, that was pretty, that was a pretty memorable name. The most memorable, most weird name, man. I mean, there's other good names, and but that one was the most like odd. Like, what the hell? Like, why? Why? Why would you be okay with that? <laughs> yeah, that one definitely sticks out. I feel like if I if I asked a lot of different people, like in our year of hiking, they would probably say the same thing. I never even met the dude, but like. Yeah, how do you get that name? Like I said, like you choose. You know, it's like it's it's ultimately up to you what you refer to on this trail. And if and if you gave the okay to Privy Creeper, knowing that people would like wonder how the hell you got that name, I don't know. He, uh, so, I hung out with him in Damascus. Like, uh, I don't know if he hiked in the same day as me or not, but I hung out with him. Like, I'd met him once in in like a beer or wine shop in Hiawassee, but I think that was before he had his name and didn't know that it was him. And I'd met him and like drank a beer with him or something. Didn't know that that was the same person. And then ran into him in Damascus, like the day he like got to Damascus and he was there for like a couple days and then he was leaving the trail. I was like, holy shit, you're the privy creeper. Well, I'll be damned. <laughs> and like, he's actually a pretty cool guy. Yeah, I guess don't judge a book by their trail name. <laughs> Something like that, right? But still, I'm very skeptical about that human being. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, he still was okay with that being his name. So. <laughs> Shock factor or something, I don't know. Did you listen to anything while you were hiking to help pass the time? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um at the beginning, I was like, no, I'm not going to listen to anything. I'm just going to listen to nature. Man, you listen to nature all day. And like, honestly, nature's most active in the morning and in the evening. So in the mornings, I wouldn't listen to anything. I'd listen to nature. But you're walking 12, 13 hours a day. I mean, hell, 
Why not listen to something? So uh, Thin Mint suggested that I listen to the whole Game of Thrones, Song of Fire and Ice, whatever, whatever the name of it is. I think of it as Game of Thrones because I'd seen the series. And uh, yeah, man, that's like 200 hours of audiobook goodness. And so I listened to all of that while I was out there. Um, and then some podcasts like uh, Stuff You Should Know. Some of that's pretty fun. I hated them at first, but uh, they cover some pretty interesting material and you kind of get, they grow on you. And then just other podcasts, Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, I listen to some of that and uh, just other random stuff. Uh, I tried Dirtbag Diaries a little bit and I listened to some other like trash novels, but honestly, the majority of what I listened to out there was, was the Game of Thrones series because dude, it's 200 and something hours. And like at the end, I was like stretching it out to where I'm like, I'm only gonna listen to like an hour of it today so I can have some more for tomorrow. Uh, Do you wish you had something like a Hiker Trash podcast to listen to while you're out there? Of course. It's great to hear other people's experiences and get a little idea of what's ahead. And I don't know, it's a, it is such a community that it's, it's nice to hear uh, that you know you all have shared experiences and you know you're experiencing some of the same things and then like the just different unique things and to hear about the personalities of people yeah of course man it's it's great i you know to stay engaged with the trail and uh, it's fun all right that's a solid endorsement um how how disconnected were you from society like you know did you not have a phone? Did you keep your phone off and only check in in towns? How did that work? Uh, I was actually really connected. Verizon works pretty well along the trail other than in Vermont, and it's probably the strongest service. And, um, you know, one of the things about me leaving is I did, I do kind of work for myself. I mean, I do ultimately work for myself. And so I had to check in with people. So I had to be somewhat connected a lot more than most people, which was, it was kind of annoying, but you know, that's how I made it work for me. I wasn't, it's hard to leave in my situation unless you're willing to make some compromises. And that was my compromises. Dude, I'd sometimes be sitting, I remember sitting in Shenandoah at a wayside, having a ice cream and a burger and sitting on conference calls for four hours on top of a mountain. <laughs> and like, what the hell? And I, I had to do that a couple of times, which makes me a really odd person. And people were like, what the hell, man? How can you do that? But that was just what I had to do. So yeah, I was pretty well connected. Um, I'd try to keep my phone in airplane mode unless I was on peaks to conserve the battery, but also to like not take me out of being in the woods. So I would kind of try to schedule it where, you know, it's not like I was doing this every day. I I'd, I'd had conference calls like that like five times the whole time I was out there, but it's still kind of a big deal. But trying to stay in touch with people at home um, and then make sure nothing was falling apart at work. Uh, I had to be more connected than I wanted to be, but still not too connected. I still, I still was away. Did you journal while you were on the trail? Yeah, uh, I made that actually, that was something where like, sometimes I'd let it go like four or five days and wouldn't journal, but I would catch it up. And I forced myself to do it because I figured it was the sort of thing that like, it was kind of a pain in the ass, but I'd do it at night before I'd go to bed. And Lila would ship me like a little mini bottle of uh, scotch or bourbon. 
Uh, and so I'd have like a little mini bottle of scotch, not every night, but many nights, and write my journal. And uh, I did it on my phone, so I wasn't physically writing, but uh, I kept it on my phone. And uh, it was the sort of thing where like, it was a pain in the ass. I was trying to run a blog too, and I kept the blog only for the first like 400 miles. And then I just couldn't, you don't have good enough cell service to be uploading a lot of pictures and like, so when you're in town, you don't want to spend the whole time like working on the blog. And so when I abandoned keeping up the blog, which I'm still kind of sad about doing that, but when I abandoned keeping up the blog, I made sure I would not abandon the journal because I wanted to be able to go back and look at it and say, wow, I remember that day. And like, I want my thoughts to be down for that day. And I'm so happy that I did that and that I didn't, you know, cop out and say, oh, I'm just not going to write for these couple of days. I always went back and like caught it up and I'm, Super happy that I did that. Definitely recommend it. If you're not gonna blog. What do you think you like took away from your hike? How has it changed your life since finishing? Uh, it's given me a lot of, a lot different perspective on people. Um, you know, you live in the city and you get in the rat race and you start to think, you know, everybody's stupid or angry or they're all assholes and they're all just out for themselves and you get this like bad city mentality and you you lose sight of that people are actually really ultimately they're all good at their core and I mean of course there's some bad people in the world but most people are good at their core and you kind of lose sight of that and on the trail when you step out of the sort of everyday life and you see how great people are to each other and how much they're willing to help each other, you kind of reevaluate that viewpoint that you've taken. And so I think for me, that's the, maybe the biggest thing is that like, it doesn't matter if, you know, somebody, maybe they're having a horrible day. Like I don't get mad when people cut me off on the road. Like, dude, maybe that person's mom's in the hospital and they're desperate to get there before she dies. Or maybe like, you know, the wife's in the car and they're about to have a kid or like, who knows what it is. And like, just remember that, that now that that's my first thought is not that like, oh, what an asshole or like, what an idiot. Like, dude, you don't know what's going on in that person's life. And I do believe that people are all good at their core. And I think that that's one of the biggest takeaways from the trail is, nah, man, you know, don't get caught up in this BS city mentality and like, People are good and like circumstances make them not be their best person or may, maybe they're having a bad day or whatever it is, but people are good and life makes them not necessarily always be all good. That's probably the biggest thing. The other thing is like, yeah, definitely like don't give up on your goals and like do those things and don't just live life for the, for the work and like find a way to make things happen and like you can do it and yes, and that. I always kind of thought that before, but there's no going back on that. That is definitely, that is 100% reaffirmed. Is there like a particular trail story that you resort to when you're telling your friends about the trail when they ask? Yeah, I always tell the bear story. I always tell the fighting with the bear story. So, I mean, there's lots of good stories, but that's the one that like, boom, man, that's, people are all afraid of bears. First off, black bears are, the Canadians, the first time I heard them call them big raccoons, 
I was like, man, y'all are crazy. Those bears. No, they really are kind of big raccoons, at least in the east. I don't know about western black bears, but in the east they are. But I hadn't seen a bear yet. And I was hiking in Virginia, um, just south of the James River. And uh, came. I was hiking by myself. And, you know, I, had, I came down to, like, kind of the home stretch for the day. Well, there was a, a shelter that had been closed because of bear activity, because bear had been harassing people. And so couldn't stay there. And there was a campsite, I think, that had been closed too. And so I was real nervous walking through there because, you know, I was scared shitless by bears. <laughs> I was really afraid of them. <laughs> and uh, came through the, the bear closure area and I'm by myself walking and I've got one little thousand foot up and down bump to get to the campsite that I told, I forget who I was going to meet there, Marble Spring. And uh, I got to up on the top of that or partway up that thousand foot climb. And I, you know, I'm, you know, trekking poles looking down and I look up and there's a bear and he sees me and I see him and he takes off running. And I was like, whoa, dude, bear, holy shit, man, that's a bear. Oh my God. And I'm freaking out and yeah, but he ran off. And so I was like, all right, cool. Well, he ran off. All right, all right, that's cool. You know, bear. I've, I've seen bears before when I was in Glacier and in Yosemite, but I was with people at the time. And so, you know, this is the first by myself bear encounter. And I didn't like bears then out there either. And I didn't like them, didn't want anything to do with them. I mean, they're cool to look at, but they just need to stay their distance. Anyway, uh, came down into Marble Spring and uh, there were maybe half a dozen other people there. Um, you know, I figured that bear ran off and we're several miles now from where the, the closed shelter is. And so I'm not expecting anything bad or anything and, uh, eat, you know, cook, eat, hang out for a few minutes, get in my tent, to write my journal, I'm sitting there sipping on some scotch and journaling. And I've actually properly hung my bear bag because I saw a bear. And so I was like, I'm going to properly hang my bear bag tonight. And uh, as a lot of times, you know, you just kind of, just kind of lazy and you don't really do it. You like, which is bad etiquette and you should not do that. You should always hang it properly, but you get kind of lazy. And if you haven't seen bears, it's early in the season. You don't realize that they're out and active, whatever, you know? Anyway, I'm sitting there writing and I, I hear something mess around in the woods and I'm like oh, there's a dog with these people down here it's gotta be a dog and in my head I know it's not a dog it's too big to be a dog and I hear it stomping around and I'm like god damn it that's a bear I'm like that's a bear man this this isn't cool like he's in our camp it's night or he's like circling our camp it's night and like there's maybe a dozen people or 15 people now that were staying there because everybody had to go on beyond the shelter and so they all just kind of stopped there and most people are asleep. I'd, I'd stay up later than most people. And I hear him then start calling on a tree. And I know it. That's my tree. That's the tree my bear bag's in. And I know it. I can tell exactly where he's at. And I know where everybody's hung their bags. And that's my tree. That bear's in my tree trying to get my bag. And his claws. And you can hear the bark coming down. And you can just hear it. And it's so loud. And I'm like, man, I do not want to have to deal with this right now. This sucks so bad. And I'm kind of scared. And like... I'm kind of angry that I'm having to deal with it. And like, I sit there and I'm like, man, I'm just going to keep journaling. Maybe he'll go away. Because <laughs> like, he's just going to go away. He doesn't, this guy, he's, he's a good guy. And I hear him calling and I hear him, 
up in, and you can tell he's up in the tree now, and he's kind of like having a hard time, and he's huffing a little bit and sliding down the tree and climbing back up. And finally, I'm like, man, I gotta go deal with this bear. I, I, I can't let this guy take my food. I'm, I'm on like a six day resupply, like a full, the fattest resupply you're gonna get, and he's trying to get at it. And I only had to deal with it. And so I get out of the tent and I hit him with my headlamp and I'm like, hey, hey bear, get down, get down, come on bear. <laughs> and he just looks at me and goes back to clawing at the tree, trying to get at my bag. And uh, now I'm kind of pissed. And so now my anger over having to deal with this and that bear trying to get my, my six day resupply overcomes my fear. And so I start getting angry and I start yelling at him and throwing rocks at him. <laughs> And he just looks at me and his eyes are blue in the headlamp and he's just looking at me. He's a pretty big bear. And uh, he looks at me and goes back to it again. And he's basically ignoring me. And so I end up saying, hey man, somebody come out here and help me get this bear off this tree. He won't go away. I like, somebody come help me get this bear out of here. <laughs> and, uh, and a couple people come out, uh, pebbles, and uh, God, what was his name? Why can't I remember right now? Ah, man. Anyway, a couple people come out and let's throw pebbles and uh, this guy, and I'll remember his name in a minute. Anyway, we start yelling at the bear and throwing rocks at him. Finally, he, he kind of backs his way slowly down the tree and he's huffing at us and not very happy and looking at us the whole time and walking away. And he's close, you know, he's like 20, 25 feet away, something like that. And walking and just looking at us slowly sauntering off, not happy about us driving him away. We had looked at each other and said, you know, this is, this is not going to work. We can't stay here. And packed up, um, tried to convince other people to come with us because we're like, you know, y'all, y'all didn't see that bear. We, we woke everybody up and said, you know, this is a pretty big bear and he didn't want to leave. So we think he's going to be back. And he hadn't run way too far into the woods, so we we decided to get it together and go, you know. And uh, I had this tiny little headlamp because I hadn't done any night hiking because it was it was still kind of chilly out, and so it wasn't like you know warm where you want to be hiking at night really. And uh, at least it was chilly at night, and so I had this tiny little headlamp, and so we're all following this chain, and we do our six miles, get in at like two in the morning. And, you know, we, uh, there's a guy sleeping in the middle of the trail that we, like, just walked over randomly. He's, like, sleeping in the middle of the trail, like, randomly. We, like, walked over him. And uh, we got down, found a spot, and we all we went to bed. And next morning, uh, find out that of the people we left behind, they lost four food bags, a cook set, and the bear terrorized the camp all night. They had to start a huge fire at, like, 4 in the morning to keep him out. And ended up meeting a guy two days later that said, the night before we were there, it must have been the same bear, we, I had seen this tree that was maybe like six inches across or something, seven inches across, that was knocked down in a weird sort of way. And it, it turned out that that tree, that bear had knocked that tree down to get a bag out of it the night before. And he was just a very aggressive bear. But... As, as I said, kind of at the beginning, the Canadians say they're big raccoons. They really just want your food. They're not like aggressive toward you. I mean, there probably are some out there, but um, 
Little known fact, more people have been murdered on the trail by humans than have been killed by bears. <laughs> there are maulings, and there were two people that got bit last year, but they were little, little bites. I mean, it's still scary, but I don't know. What was your diet like? Can you walk us through what you ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Yeah, um, breakfast, I would start my stove not for oatmeal, but I did start it for uh, instant coffee. Uh, I bought bulk Starbucks Vias, but I, you know, that was just what I could find, bulk. Uh, and they're, they're pretty decent. So I'd have one of those, and then I'd generally have a dried packet of oatmeal that I would just eat dry, uh, which uh, these guys from Wyoming that I knew out there, they had taught me that, that to just eat it. And yeah, just eat it, man. You don't need to heat up water for it. It's, it's quick, it's easy. And heating up water for the coffee is real quick. So that would be my breakfast most days. Sometimes I'd have like a bar, like an oat bar, uh, or like, um, like a kind bar, something like that. Uh, lunch would be whatever assorted snacks. I had like goo packets that I would sometimes eat. Um, like throughout the day, Snickers, really like Snickers. I'd have a Snickers or two a day. Um, <laughs> other just kind bars, beef jerky, uh, dried fruit, lots of nuts, peanuts, cashews, almonds, chocolate covered almonds, chocolate covered walnuts. <laughs> uh, that just sort of snack food, but, um, really calorie dense food. And I bought, so I went to Costco before I left. And so Lila would ship me everything. I bought like giant bulk of all of these things. And so I had a breakfast box, a like snacks and lunch box, and then a dinner's box. And so I went to the Buford Highway Farmer's Market here in Atlanta, which is a kind of like Asian, uh, Asian market. And I got all these like crazy ramens. And so I'd have uh, for dinner, occasionally for lunch I'd have a ramen, but for dinner I'd have a ramen. And then there was an Amazon deal of the day for Mountain House also like two weeks before I left. And so I bought, I don't know, 50 or 75 Mountain Houses, something like that at like four bucks a piece, which is kind of expensive, but man, they're real high calorie and they're real light. And you know, I wanted to have some variety. And so I'd have a ramen in a Mountain House pretty much every night. I bought some packet gourmet that are like this real fancy meal. Um, but I, those are those. I'd only have a few of those. Those were real nice when you got those. Those are really good. Packet Gourmet out of Austin, Texas. Man, that's some good stuff right there. That's a that's a plug for them. They can send me some free uh, <laughs> some free meals. But uh, yeah, pretty pretty uh pretty good meals overall. I I ate, I ate pretty well. I I thought a lot about diet um, before I went out there, and I did spend some extra money on it. I had. I like budgeted more than most people for it and tried to have that kind of calorie dense and uh, fairly high nutrition food, which I don't know that I would have made it and I definitely would have wouldn't have made it in the time that I made it without eating as well as I did. Has your life changed like noticeably since you finished the trail? Like you're still working the same job that you did prior to starting the trail. So I don't know, do you feel different? Is there anything that you've like learned on the trail and applied into your daily life? Um, yeah, I'm kind of weird. I went right back to, unlike most people, I went right back to the same girlfriend, same job. 
Uh, I did change where I lived. I did, um, I did move down to the city where I could bike and walk to more places and I wouldn't have to drive my car everywhere. Um, Cause you get used to walking and you don't want to, I don't want to have to drive everywhere. I want to be able to walk or bike or do something without having to jump in the car. And so now I can bike to the grocery store and I can bike, like I, like I park my car on Friday afternoon when I get home from work and I generally don't drive it again until Monday. That's what my goal is always. And I can make that happen. So I think um, that's probably the biggest thing is the location of where I'm living. And it wasn't even a question that I wanted to be where I could make those things happen. Um, and then I've, I've tried to have a better work-life balance. Like I stopped working, you know, 14 hours a day and I got down to working like 10 hours a day. <laughs> but that was, that's good for me. I stopped working weekends so I could have um, weekends where I actually could hang out with my friends or go do active things or go camping. So I'm probably more active than I was. Uh, and I try to make that more of a thing. Um, Otherwise, I mean, I feel like I could do anything now. You know, it's like it's, it's a huge confidence thing that like if you can walk the Appalachian Trail, you can you can do anything that you set your mind to. What comes to mind when you think of the trail now? Like about the trail? Like, how do you look back on that? Uh, very fondly. Uh, it's there's sections of it where I remember being like, man, I just want to be done. Uh, like I recognize what I'm doing and I'm happy that I'm doing it, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired. I want to, I want to be over with, but then I remember in Maine in the hundred mile wilderness starting to get more like, nah, man, this is, this is great. I don't want it to end. And that's kind of, and like, this is amazing. And this is awesome what I've done. And like this lifestyle is so great. And you know, you're filthy and you're living in the woods, but it's, it's great. And, it's just such a simple, nice way of life. And without all of the, this world on the trail, we talk about the world we're in there. And then we talk about the other world, like this world out here or the real world or, um, this place and life out there is so simple. It's, I mean, it's wake up, eat, shit, walk, eat, sleep. And that's it. That's your life. And like, you know, stop and enjoy some views, uh, talk to some nice people and like be in nature. And yeah, there's like, a, there's a lot of hard days and there's a lot of beautiful days, but the lifestyle is, uh, man, it's, it's pretty nice. And I look fondly on that and like, man, I got back and I was like, it was hard to adjust. You get back and like, it's hard to adjust back to this lifestyle, like the real world or this world or whatever you want to call it because that life is so great. And like, at first I was like, man, I just want to go back to the woods. Like, I don't want to have to deal with all the complications of, of life here. And I think I still, that's like, when I look back on the trail, that's still what I think is like, man, that's a really nice life. Like having a goal and, you know, living in the moment and that being like real and you're doing this amazing thing. And, um, like every moment of that is great. That's why like you have to have the horrible times because it's nothing. The good stuff doesn't mean as much if you don't have a challenge and you don't have to overcome some things. And I don't know, looking back at it, just like, man, that life is so great. And like, man, it'd be, it'd be nice to, to be able to do that. I don't know that I want to do that all the time. I don't want to like just live in the woods, but it'd be a nice way to spend a, 
a few months every couple of years. So would you do it again? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. No question, I would definitely do it again. Um, and I think, you know, there's lots of people that say, you know, the trail's getting so much heavy use that ATC's pushing people to do flip-flops and do more southbound and all. But I really do believe northbound is is kind of the right way because the northern part, I don't understand how people start in Maine. I would never have finished. I wouldn't have gotten out of Maine. Maine's so damn hard unless you're in really good shape or you're willing to take it really slowly. Um, I would totally do it. And northbound is, uh, it's interesting. It's a nice social experience because you meet so many interesting people and all. And there is a lot of, there is a lot of resource use and that is something that is a legitimate concern. Um, and I don't know how they're going to deal with that if the crowds keep growing. Because, I mean, hell, there were 100 people, I think, the day I started that started. And that's, that's a lot for a woodland trail. Uh, and a lot of people drop off, so it's not as bad further north. But, yeah, I would do it, and I would probably do it northbound again. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I, would, I would be interested in southbound um, just for the perspective of doing it that way. But for me, being from Georgia, it – to me, it seems right to walk away and always have something interesting that's, uh, that's pulling you forward. Now that I've done it, it wouldn't be quite the same experience. And maybe I would be okay doing it southbound, but I was always worried like, oh, I'll just get bored once I get to the south because it'll be stuff I've seen and, and it'll just be not something new and exciting for me. And so that was one of the reasons why I went northbound. And maybe I would do it another way. Maybe I'd flip-flop it and do it something like that. But yeah, I would definitely do it again, 100%. No question about it. Cool. Now let's get a little technical and talk about the gear that you use while you're hiking the trail. So what was your backpack? Uh, I had a Z-Pack Arc Hall. And what size was that? 62 liters, I think. I got the uh, belt pouches, but I didn't get any of the other stuff. Belt pouches are key. Good piece of equipment. And what about your footwear? I uh, did Salmon XA Pros uh, with Superfeet blue inserts, and I ran through four pairs of, well, three and a half pairs of them. I'm a big uh, Salomon advocate, so Salomon all the way. Pretty solid. Trekking poles? Started with Cascade Mountain Tech carbons and was trying to knock some dirt off them, hit them too hard on a tree and shattered them, uh, and then decided I didn't want to do carbon anymore. Well, I kind of wanted to do carbon, couldn't find any. Also, wasn't sure I wanted to do it. Uh, I got the uh, uh, Black Diamond Ergo Ergo Cork. And so they got like a little angle on them. And you got to have the cork grips, man. Cork grip is key. And those were great. Uh, by the end, they were Franken poles because they were so bent up. And I couldn't find, I didn't want to buy a new set. So I found an outfitter that would give me pieces of other poles. So I had lecky bottoms and it was just franken poles at the end, but hey, they got through. What kind of tent did you have? I started with a tarp tent Squall 2. It's a two person tent. That's like right at two pounds, I think. I think it's been discontinued, um, but that was, a, that was a good piece of equipment. A super easy setup. You could set it up in 45 seconds, something like that. Uh, and it's single walled, so you didn't have to watch out for condensation, but because it was two person, you had a lot of space inside. So that was a great piece of equipment. Um, I'd always wanted to try a hammock. And so when Lila came up, 
uh, and brought chocolate cake and margaritas, she brought me a Hennessy ultralight hammock and I tried it and really liked that. And so I did the last five, 600 miles of the trail in a hammock. And boy, I don't know that I'll ever sleep on the ground again after that. But if I had to, I like my, I like the tent that I had. Um, what was your sleeping bag? Enlightened equipment, revelation, 20 degree bag that was wide and long. And that was probably the best piece of equipment I had. I cannot recommend that enough, man. It was so great. I wasn't cold. I had one day that I was down to 20 degrees and I was completely warm. I think my feet were sweating. Uh, I, I had overdone it with some possum fur socks that I had that were just way too warm. <laughs> uh, sleeping pad? Uh, Neoair X-Lite Thermarest. And everybody thought it was crazy to blow it up every night, but, uh, you know, dude, <laughs> you want to sleep well. And it's a nice fat air pad and it weighs right at one pound for the, I think I had the large size or something. I don't remember, but it was the one that's right at one pound. It's, it's nice. That That's nice. To, it's, it's great to have a good night's sleep, dude. If you're going to walk 20 something miles over mountains with a backpack on, uh, you're going to want to sleep well. I, I put a lot of, a lot of, time and money into gear. It took me like a year and a half to collect it all. And that was with me like putting every dollar I had into it. Um, do you remember what kind of stove and pot you had? Yeah, I, I went with, um, it's like a snow peak, like three wing kind of ultralight little titanium stove, um, that used, uh, the kind of the compressed canisters. Uh, and then I had uh, Evernew one liter pot. And it was this one that had this like uh, ceramic coat. So it was a nonstick and it has this little frying pan that you could fry stuff in. Uh, and then I had a Evernew titanium cup that the little fuel canister would fit in the cup and the cup would fit in the pot with the stove and everything. Uh, and then I made a pot koozie or pot cozy, depending on how you say it, out of, uh, it's like the duct insulation that you cut and you make it into like a little koozie. So you keep your fuel use down because all you gotta do is get a boil and then you slap it in the koozie and it will finish cooking your ramen or your mountain house or whatever. And it costs nothing, it's just duct tape and that, you know, two, three dollars, something like that to build it. And that was, that was pretty cool. I definitely recommend that. That's a good way to save fuel. I would use one of those tiny canisters for two weeks sometimes. Do you have any favorite quotes? Man, I'm terrible at remembering quotes. I'm 100% sure if I like looked in my journal. Uh, I remember one thing. Like, uh, and I'm trying to think. It's, uh, and I don't know that it's like, it was me and this guy, Pterodactyl. And... We were in the Shenandoah with, and there were a bunch of us, and we were in like a regular people campsite for the night. And there were like seven or eight of us, and we had gotten a bunch of beer, and we were up, and it was like 11 o'clock, and we're being all loud and rowdy. And this guy yells out to us, shut the hell up, shut the hell up, from across the campsite, and, you know, felt kind of bad, but we were drunk, and we were just carrying on. And so some people went to bed, and me and Pterodactyl were both loud, and we're... <clears throat> out there and the guy yells again he's like shut the hell up you goddamn democrats <laughs> i 
And I looked at Terry Dugdale, I said, hey man, you gonna let him call you a Democrat like that? He said, I am a Democrat. And I said, yeah, I know, but I don't like the way he said that. And so Pterodactyl yells out at this guy and starts, hey, go to hell, buddy, go to hell, get the hell out of here. And the guy comes up to us, the guy like comes over and he's shaved head and he's an older guy, but he's big and he's pretty clearly probably was in the military and beat the shit out of both of us. And we're just like, sorry, bro, we're going to bed, man, my bad. I don't know that that's a quote, but I don't know. It's, uh, it's kind of like a little, I don't know, a little thing. Quote-wise, I don't know. I don't remember any individual quotes, but... Not even from the trail, but, like, inspirational quotes that would, like, help or apply. Ah. Um. Damn, man. This is the sort of thing that I'm going to think about in a little while and be like, man, that's exactly it, but... I mean, that that was a good story, though. It's a good little story, not necessarily a quote, but Yeah, I just but... mean, like, you know, quotes from, you know... Poets or public figures uh, or anything like that. No rain, no pain, no main or something. <laughs> um, let's see. One keep your feet one foot in front of the other. Just keep keep walking. Um, man, there's got to be something good here, but I don't got it. No, that's all good. Those those are good. Um, what about your favorite book? I mean, it doesn't have to be trail related, but just. favorite book ever oh I don't know I do a lot of audiobooks I drive around a lot for work I do 1,000 1,200 miles a week so I do lots of audiobooks and recently I I'm listening to and I'm almost done with Ben Franklin's autobiography which is a actually very interesting and he's a very funny writer um, that's good also I'm reading off of Charlie Munger's list of books he's Warren Buffett's business partner and he's very widely read. And so I'm reading off of his list right now and read uh, or listened to the autobiography of John D. Rockefeller before. And that's fascinating at how much uh, his life and the way he did things influenced the world that we live in and America of today. So that's a really interesting book. Um, always love AWOL's book and any Bill Bryson. Bill Bryson is a funny writer. I'd, his book about the trail is not that great, but it's all right. It's it's entertaining. Uh, it's not really a trail book, but it's kind of is. It's it touches on the trail and it's about the trail, but it's not really about the hiking of it. Um, but his book One Summer, that's a really cool book. Really like that. Uh, talking about 1924, maybe. Really, really interesting. Just all about Charles Lindbergh and um, the Yankees and so much stuff that was going on that year. That's a cool book. Uh, I don't know. Those are good recommendations. And then uh, if anyone wants to like follow you on social media, where can they find you? Um, I'm old school, just Facebook. Uh, I don't remember if I'm Charles.Biscoming or Chuck biscoming or see biscoming at facebook i'll have to get that to you <laughs> okay i'll put it in the show notes or put it in the description so it's all good yeah i'll have to do that i should have a twitter or something i'm i'm horrible i'm i'm old <laughs> that concludes the first episode of the hiker trash podcast thank you so much for listening if you have any suggestions or recommendations on some questions that i should be asking the guests or 
recommendations on anyone that you know or if you want to be interviewed, if you have thru-hiked or have any connection with the trail or trail community, um, please reach out and send an email to hikertrashpod at gmail.com. Thanks. Happy trails.